Hi Chris, how are you? Good evening Rod. Here we are then, episode 67 on the 8th of May. I know, we're almost halfway through the year at this stage. What we are though is, what, a month away from WWDC, so hopefully a month's time from now we'd have watched some WWDC videos and we'd be going, what amazing new stuff have we got to play with this year? Yeah, I guess we'll have, we've kind of done a what we're expecting from WWDC episode, but we'll have to, you know, as rumours get a bit closer near the time, we might have to repeat that. Yeah, m- maybe just a brief update on it. I wasn't planning on covering it tonight, but I just think it's amazing how we're four weeks out and I don't think any of us really know exactly what's coming, so it's going to be cool. Well, this headset VR thing seems to be the most likely thing, doesn't it? And we've talked about it a few times and both of us are still a bit, hmm, yeah, hmm. I'm still 50-50 on whether that's coming. Well, that's reasonable, I suppose. I, I kind of hi- hope that everything we know now is all we know for the next month and they, Apple can actually surprise us because it's nice to have a surprise. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I think that's reasonable. Busy week? Busy week. Yeah, incredibly busy. And obviously every week's a week short at the moment because we're in bank holiday season, which is fantastic. But generally we have to do five days worth of actual work in four days. So yeah, now incredibly busy yourself. Yeah, similar, really. Sort of recovering from coming back to America. And I'm off to Belfast next week as well. This week, actually, because it's Monday. So I know I know it's not quite as exciting as Boston, is it? But such is life. I've never been to Belfast. I would love to go. So I'm quite jealous, actually. It's a nice place. The people there are fantastic. I've got to say, I've been a few times to Belfast and I've always thoroughly enjoyed myself. So I'd love to go. I always wanted to go and do the Guinness tour. No, that's Dublin. I've got my... That's Dublin. <gasps> Titanic Museum. Apo- it's what Belfast. Apologies yeah. to anybody from Ireland. My mistake. Yeah. Well, as 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 a half person from the Republic of Ireland, I'll, I may never forgive you for that, Chris. So yeah, I'm sure I've made worse faux pas. <laughs> Definitely. Should we Should we jump over this and dive into follow up? Yeah. On that note, it's trying to follow up. So I've put a couple of pieces in here. I didn't know where to put this one, but I just thought I'd do a public service announcement. If you use the BBC iPlayer, or you use BBC's HD channel, you may have seen that when BBC One goes to your local news, it doesn't actually display your local news, but you get like 10 minutes of, of NAF music and a countdown to when all service will be resumed. What they've now done in the iPlayer is you can choose either your region, i.e. Scotland, Wales, Ireland, or you can choose your area of England, and you will now get your localised news in iPlayer. And if you've got BBC One HD, you may need to retune your TV, but you will now get your local news instead of this 10 minute segment when you go off on the localized channel that's usually not in hd so that's what i wanted to say i'm so glad they fixed this i have no idea why it's taken them so long to do this because surely putting region set setting into iplayer probably wasn't a huge amount of work i have no idea what they've had to do to the broadcast of bbc one hd to get localized but i'm amazed it's taken so long to happen but now it's here it's fantastic because my wife will be very happy I will say that's a step in the right direction for sure, although I'm still not sure I want to forgive the BBC for the rubbish fact they haven't got 4K in the Apple clients for iPlayer. So they're sort of dragging their feet here a bit. I agree with that. That does great with me. But this is a step forwards. Maybe quality will be the next step. We can but hope. We shall see. I mean, why would you update for an LG TV before you do you know, all the Apple devices, iPads, phones, Apple TVs, all the rest of it. it makes no sense to me. I've no idea. It does annoy me because I watch quite a bit of BBC iPlayer and I use my Apple TV a lot. It is my main consumption device in our house. So very frustrating. Fair enough. And the second one is yours as well. Second one mine. So I was in the Financial Times app on my iPhone and I am running the, the latest beta. So 
iOS 16.5. And I tapped a link because it said you need to sort your subscription out. I said, oh, okay, I'll tap on that and see what the options are. And and a big, you know, modal pop-up came up and said, you're about to leave the Apple ecosystem. Let me let me read the words. This is actually what it said. You are about to leave the, the app and go to an external website. You will no longer be transacting with Apple. And I hadn't seen this before. So I thought, is this new? And is Apple slowly chipping away at the things the European legislation's making them do so that you can actually have an app and then go off externally to do this, manage the subscription, basically, because that never used to be a thing. And it looks like this is, I think it's new. And I just thought I'd bring it up here that it looks like this is coming to the EU. Whether this is in the States as well or not, I don't know, because we are hearing that some things are going to do EU only and other things will be global. So I just thought it was interesting and clearly a step in the right direction because not everything needs to transact through Apple. Yeah, it's a bit of a scary, you know, dragons be this way, isn't it? You know, like on an old map once upon a time that they are trying to reinforce that sticking your toes or your nose outside the Apple ecosystem is a problem almost. And I don't know that I like that very much. I mean, I get it, I suppose, and I agree with you. It is a laudable step, but it's not all scary out there. We all use the internet every day, don't we? Yeah, I mean, how many people pay for everything through Amazon, for example, or other payment providers? It basically says continue to the dark side is what they're saying. I don't know, it's, it is a bit horrible, but it's good they're doing it, I guess. I guess, I suppose. It's a bit grudging, isn't it? Like somebody pushing them. But they are doing it in the most aptly of ways, yeah, begrudgingly, and putting loads of verbatim around it. Because some people, like my parents, for example, would go, oh, no, I don't want to do that. You know? Yeah, uh- and that, that's the worry, isn't it? I think that, that, you know, they're doing this, they're making it, they're not exactly making it frictionless, are they? This, this, this baggage comes with this and that's what they're putting on there. And I don't like that very much. Again, hooray, you're doing it, but you're doing it in the most obstreperous way possible, really. Yeah, since you like the rest of the internet is all bad. So not great. But anyway, at least it's happening. It is progress of sorts. Should we move sure. on to the news? Let's move on to the news. So first story is one, well, first two stories are ones I came across, and they're both about social media. The first one was Mozilla, the company that makes Firefox and, you know, sort of the spiritual successor to Netscape Navigator back in the day, have started their own Mastodon instance, which, which everybody is free to join, but they've got very strict rules around what your stances on gender, sex, sexual orientation, race, age, you know, not spreading hate speech effectively is what they're trying to sort of promote there, which... I think is interesting for a large tech company to take the sort of approach that they'll give you an instance for Mastodon. But then trying to moderate things in this way is also an interesting thing for a big tech company to try and undertake. I think Mozilla is a charity as well as a business, as I understand it. You can sort of gift money to them. They're a big open source project. But this is just an interesting way of going about things. Yeah, I was just trying to think, why would they have their own Mastodon instance? Why would they take that on? Because it's another thing to manage, maintain, look after. I was it, trying to work it, in it for them. It is. And I can understand why some companies would want a Mastodon instance. If you're Apple and you want control of, you know, that dot .apple Mastodon instance for your own employees, that absolutely makes sense. You can sort of moderate it, own it, what goes on there and all the rest of it. I can, that makes logical sense. I mean, I could see Mozilla doing that for their employees. It is a bit odd to open the world, but maybe they just see something in a, in a decentralized social network where they can actually get a bit of traction, potentially, because it's not a space they've been very good at before. So maybe this is a way of actually getting some interested users inside a social media on a server of their own. And yeah, it's federated and all the rest of it, the same as all Mastodon instances are. But it's just it's an interesting approach. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I can see it from a corporate standpoint. It's kind of like your corporate email, isn't it? This is my corporate email. You can email me at this email address. But when I leave this company, you can't email me anymore. And I can see why you'd want that for your, you know, your, well, I don't know really call them celebrities, but evangelists or voice on the internet to be at your corporation. So when they leave your corporation, they're not then posting under their personal account. Maybe they've gone to a rival, for example. So that 100% makes sense. I guess that Mozilla having their own instance leans into Mozilla's stance and it fits well with, with their ethos of what they're trying to achieve. So I can see it from that standpoint, but it just feels like more work for them. That was my concern. Unless they're trying to get in early so that maybe they end up with more of a, a following. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Maybe there is a market for people who want aggressive moderation and it is possible. True. True, and I guess we don't know what what Mastodon's going to look like in five years' time. No, and that sort of leads us nicely into the next story, actually, which is Twitter's sort of rival, which is started by one of the co-founders of Twitter, actually, which is a vaguely, I don't, to be quite honest, entirely understand it, is a social media network called Blue Sky, which for the moment is invite-only sign-up. It seems to be getting a lot of traction from those people that are actually on Blue Sky. They say there's lots of people they recognize on there. Lots of people are leaving Twitter and seem to get Blue Sky. I've unfortunately not linked it, but I will try and do it before the end of the show. A post from Gruber talking about how the word he used, I think, is grok, which is a good nerdy word for I just understand a thing. You grok a thing. People are groking Blue Sky more so than Mastodon. So it seems that the exodus of people leaving Twitter to Mastodon has slowed an awful lot. And people were joining Mastodon, making a couple of posts and then you know not making much more of it. Whereas there seems to be a bit more traction with Blue Sky because it's more understandable, I think. It is less aggressively moderated than most Mastodon instances. So, yeah, it's just interesting. You've got this other social media network sort of waiting in the wings for Twitter to combust even more. Side note, I love that Blue Sky's homepage has got an iPhone on it from pre-iPhone 12 because it's got you know nice curved edges on it. I just thought I'd, put, I'd point that out. That it's got a three, four-year-old, four, five-year-old phone on there now. Quite interesting. Look, I can see the appeal of Blue Sky because I think it's got a little bit less friction is my understanding. I'm not on Blue Sky. I don't know if you want it at all. No. Not yet. But it does feel like there's less friction to it and maybe Mastodon's going to be the slightly more techie one over here on one side and maybe Blue Sky is that natural commercial successor to Twitter. Because what I'm not seeing really on Mastodon is the likes, I'm a Formula One person, but the likes of Red Bull and McLaren on there, where they are on Twitter. Would they then maybe skip Mastodon and go straight to Blue Sky? I don't know. Well, it's because it's invite only. i, I got to say, I think most average users are still on Twitter. They don't see all the churn in the background other than maybe they're getting Elon pointed at them a bit more and they're now maybe not getting their replies and things for the bits I'm keeping up with Twitter. So most people are probably still quite happily consuming Twitter, as would be Red Bull, as would be most of the motorbike teams that I used to follow on Twitter and all the rest of it. I agree there's not that that pushover. It is largely techie-geeky types or people who have a social conscience of some sort who want that sort of debate, the higher engagement you seem to get on Mastodon. i got to say, I don't feel like I'm getting the engagement I got on Twitter on Mastodon. I'm obviously tweeting or tooting the wrong things. I do put out the odd sort of plaintive thing and nobody ever replies. I get the odd follower and all the rest of it. So I kind of get you don't have that immediate responsiveness that you seem to get with Twitter, even in the early days of Twitter. Having said that, I do still quite like Mastodon. The people I do follow on there are interesting, the likes of Steve Trouton Smith and Gruber and you know John Syracuse and others. Post really interesting things. The guys from 95 Mac and the guys from Not Panic, the company that makes Ivory, the, the 
Mastodon software Tap that used bots. to make tweet bots. You know, the, the programmer there uh, and others post interesting things, but I agree with you. We're on the fringes of geekiness here. We're not in the mainstream of, I want to find out what, well, I don't know, Alonso or one of those Formula One drivers said to his mechanics or whatever it is you get from Formula One Twitter. Well, I haven't been on Twitter for donkey's years, so I'm, I'm missing all of it. I'm amazed you correctly named a Formula One driver, though, so, so well done. I mean, he has been in the sport for 20-odd years, so, you know, it was, it was a good stab. I could have said Schumacher, come on. Sh- Schumacher not in it this year. Well, he hasn't. The, the, the father hasn't been in it for many years. I know there's a son yeah. as well, isn't there? Somebody, See, I do know a bit. His son was in it for two years, but he's a reserve driver at the moment. So he's out. There you go. Okay. I think we're in the same place on this, though, aren't we? I think Marston hasn't has captured some of the tech tech kingdom, I guess, of Twitter, but not mainstream. And maybe, maybe that, that is where Blue Sky comes in. Yeah. It, it, sort of reading between the lines of these things, Twitter's traction was that immediate access to celebrities and for journalists journalists could take a pulse really quickly of what was going on or you get reports of an area and all the rest of it and i think if blue sky is going to jump on twitter's failings they better go on and expand fairly quickly it's all very well having an invite only thing for a little bit but at some point you've got to hit critical mass and move on and i think mastodon's almost got that critical mass in as much as people were just there and they were able to get on and use it and all the rest of it but it's still a bit shady i feel like the users that use Mastodon are quite happy where it is. They don't really want it to grow, the people that were there before the Twitter people came over. So there isn't that sort of impetus to sort of really expand. Although, this week they have, if you go to sign up with a proper Mastodon client, you automatically get an account on Mastodon.social, which was the first one, rather than having to put in a server and all that stuff that it originally did. So they are making some moves towards accessibility. Yeah, they're smoothing off some of the friction, aren't they? You know, sanding off the rough edges, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see where Blue Sky goes, actually. And I'm interested to see if Twitter will make a comeback. Who knows? Because they did vote up a vote ages ago, and we talked about it. They want Elon to be the CEO anymore, and the vote was no, and he said he would stand by it. And here we are, three, four months later, nothing's happened. Imagine that. I know, it's shocking. Anyway, it's interesting. I have put in my email address to try and get an invite for Blue Sky, just because I'm always curious in another social network. Links in the show notes. As well as that link to Gruber's toot about why he, th- why he thinks Blue Sky will be successful over Mastodon. So there you go. There's also a link on how to try and get a Blue Sky. Avoid the waitlist if you want to, but I'll, from The Verge, but we'll see how that goes. Anything else on this? No, I don't think so, but I do think Gruber's right. Fun and easy to use. That's what, pe- that's what the masses will want. Yep, I agree. Okay, moving on. This is another story, having mentioned The Verge from there, about Amazon planning to rework Alexa in the age of chat GPT. So this isn't a surprise to anyone, is it, that the big tech companies will be looking to change their voice assistants in the lights of chat GPT? This is a no-brainer. I do worry whether Amazon have got the capabilities. I think they've let a lot of people go from some of their tech divisions. But a no-brainer, and actually a friend of mine who listens to this show, they've just got an Alexa show thing in their kitchen and his wife loves it and said get rid of siri it's rubbish so it's quite damning already and i think if one of the big tech vendors rolls in this llm ability you know this large language model ability i think they may well then leapfrog the market i guess how they're going to monetize it though i think it's always been amazon's problem because they keep selling cheap hardware and i think sometimes maybe they need a bit of the apple model of sell some good hardware for a reasonable price because otherwise you're you're not making back your investment are you i don't really know how apple how amazon justifies it or you know adds up their numbers of where they invest because are they going to be back to where they were where they're just not making the money out of these things 
Well, I wonder if they've hit the bumps of what's capable with current technology. Maybe ChatGPT is what this market needs. Because Amazon were more or less first to market, as I recall. They beat Google into this space. We were all waiting for our Alexa cylinders when they came along. And they were initially quite cool. It was amazing to be able to ask, what time is it? Tell me a joke, read me my Audible book, or whatever it was that you'd ask Alexa to do. And it would just do it. And it's always been more accurate than Siri. You know, from, from the point we started using Siri, Alexa was better. End. And then the logical things they added, like, I don't know if you had an Alexa cylinder, but if you'd order something on Amazon, they used to have, they presumably still have, rings around them in colors to tell you what was going on. So like a dark blue ring was it was on and it was active. If you had a package waiting or about to be delivered or an update for, a yellow ring would pulse on the top of the cylinder to let you know that you know, the status of the thing you'd ordered from Amazon had changed. So things like that are useful additions to technology that you could say, Alexa, tell me about my package, and it would. You know, so I quite like that about it, but we talked about this on the show before. You, these days, you ask Alexa to do a thing, and then it goes, thanks, I've done that thing. Oh, did you know I can do this for you now as well? And it, it's that sort of interruption to what you want to do. So you've got a couple of things there. You've got not necessarily it being accurate for what you're asking, you're asking it to do, and then an upsell to something else. And that's where you get into Amazon maybe missing a trick with, you know, pushing the technology in the wrong place. As you say, put it on cheap hardware. So if you're trying to sell it as a speaker, they don't sound very good as speakers. Certainly the ones I tried, they might sound better these days. I haven't had one in years. I have had the mini ones and I had one of the big original cylinders. I, and I felt no compunction to buy another thing because I give Amazon enough of my money, frankly. Yeah, agreed. I'm, I'm not looking to change ecosystem, but just thought it was interesting that they're doing this and they're the first one to publicly say something. It is a no-brainer. And like I say, I think everybody else will follow. Yeah, I'm with you. And if Apple aren't very seriously looking at something like this for Siri, they're absolutely missing a trick. Yeah, agreed. I'm curious to see if they're going to announce anything around Siri this year because they've been very quiet out of the big tech brands. You know, Google, Microsoft have come out. Amazon, who's a shop, who is a shop in essence, have announced whether they're doing something. Apple, nothing. So WWC is going to be interesting. I hear a lot of chat about Apple are more conservative, small c. <laughs> than that, that they're, you know, you, you don't want it to be wrong. You know, if you ask it something, it's got to be right all the time, et cetera, et cetera. Siri's wrong so much of the time for me anyway that I don't see how it can be worse. It's an international joke, isn't it, how wrong Siri is? You ask it to play something, and you're quite explicit about what you want it to play or do, and it just, the answers it gives you are meaningless. So I, maybe they've been too conservative in the wrong ways, and it is really biting their brand. I think if they were to reboot it and do version 10 or whatever version of Siri we're on now, they give it a different name. And that's how you're going to start winning people back over to it. Yeah, I, th I agree with you. I think it's a turn off for the brand rather than a turn on. Saying something is powered by Siri is not helping Apple's case at all. It's detrimental. Absolutely. Good. Okay, moving on. Something else that Apple's done that's potentially detrimental is the death of the bridge keyboard. Did you have a bridge keyboard? I I'm pretty sad about this one, actually, because if you're buying a keyboard for your iPad, there's there is little competition in this space. There's some Logitech stuff, which is okay. Some can be a bit chunky, heavy. And there's Apple stuff, which is very expensive. and can also be a bit heavy. And then there was Bridge. And I thought Bridge had done some good stuff. They basically made your iPad look like a laptop. But they've now gone. They've closed their doors. Feels like they're not paying people that work for them. They're not paying people that have made pre-orders. They've done some acquisitions as well, which I hadn't realized. They bought a company doing like a dock and things. You could dock your iPad in. I think they were doing some good stuff, but they had they had branded issues as well because, like you say, Apple hadn't helped them by letting them have access 
to the the firmware and debugging and giving them the, the pointer access. So Bridge were making iPad keyboards long before trackpad support came out and they were using a hack to do trackpad support for a while. And then when actual trackpad came out, and it was early on in the pandemic we got it because I remember ordering, a key, and that's when I went iPad only and I ordered a keyboard and mouse for my iPad. Bridge were left out in the cold for about a year. Uh, and Logitech and Apple had the march on them and I guess they've never really come back from that but they were doing some good stuff and it was a quality product it was well made I mean, it connects over Bluetooth it was well thought out and it's a bit of a shame because there isn't really much competition in this space for like quality iPad peripherals I think like I say Logitech do a little bit but you need to be doing some pro stuff and I just don't think there's anybody there I think Logitech are more in the consumer space yeah I'd agree with that I remember hearing about bridge keyboards. I think it was from Mike Hurley on Upgrade. It was sort of quiet in them for a while for exactly the reasons you're talking about. He was an iPad first person. Wanted something quality type in his iPad with. Apple weren't servicing that need particularly well. So bought a bridge keyboard. And there was a lot of churn in, in bridge for people trying the new thing, looking forward to the next thing. And I remember all this discussion about the trackpads not being very good. And that seems to be the thing that killed them as much as anything else, is that they were 75% as expensive as an Apple keyboard. The quality wasn't always there. People would get them, they'd be dead, keys wouldn't work. There was this trackpad firmware as well. And all those things together, plus being Sherlocked again by Apple coming along and actually making the product in the end, and then blessing Logitech with the ability to make these things to a quality standard, software and hardware, almost as good as Apple's you're kind of on a losing streak. And I know that they made one for the Surface Pro as well. So it wasn't just an Apple-focused company. They made things for Microsoft products too. So, you know, fair play to them. They had a go at it. But once you're not paying employees and you're unable to ship products, and particularly at the tail end of the pandemic when most people's IT spend is done, I think you've missed a boat and that's probably the, the end of Bridge. Yeah, it's, it is really disappointing though because whilst you're talking, I was just having a look around Logitech's website and the majority of the ones they make aren't for the iPad Pro. And it's a bit disappointing because I think it's an underserved market. You know, you've got somebody spending, say, two grand on an iPad. I think there is room there for some innovation in that space, not to have a big clunky case, but something nice, well-designed. And I think Bridge would, would try to do a good job in that space. Sure, but... I don't think the majority of people buy iPad Pros. Fair. Uh, yeah, most fair. people are going to buy an iPad Air, they're going to buy an iPad Mini, they're going to buy just whatever the standard iPad is to replace what they had already. So iPad Pro users have enough money to buy the Apple thing and probably will buy the Apple thing because they're dropping two grand on an iPad. So I, I, I can completely understand Logitech's view that you service the main part of the market, not the fringes of it. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right there, sadly. But anyway, I'm disappointed Bridge is gone. I think they were doing some good stuff. I think they should have focused on their core business. And I think the acquisitions were perhaps a distraction and maybe a step too far, hence why we've ended up where we are. Fair enough. Well, goodbye, Bridge. Sadly. <laughs> Moving on, and this is just a very quick story that I thought might appeal to you as the BMW owner. It's one I spotted in Ars Technica this week about 90,000 old BMWs being too dangerous to drive due to an airbag recall. Did you see this story? I hadn't seen it, but as soon as you put it in the show notes, I did text it to my brother who has a 20-year-old BMW. And I said, is your car all right? And he said, no, he's had both of the airbags replaced because I was obviously worried that he was driving a car that was at fault. But he's been through this and ha- had them fixed. So it is definitely a thing. My, my car's fine. Obviously, it's, it's, it's a bit too new for this, but it's not good, is it? This company, I forget the name of them, who make 
airbags, but it's, it's not one I've heard of. But they seem to make Takata, Takata. But they seem to make a lot of airbags for people. Well, this this actually affected sixty seven million airbags and forty two million vehicles. That's most of the cars in the world, surely. It's eye watering amount, isn't it? Like if you're number one at building airbags for car companies, you can't get them right, surely. Yeah. Well, BMW have issued a do not drive warning to 90,000 owners of their vehicles to tell them to park them if they haven't been fixed. That's good to affect a huge number of people. It's not good for your brand, is it? When you go, don't drive our car. It's like saying no. Apple don't use our laptop for, for computing stuff. <laughs> no, it, it's it's completely mental. It's going to blow up in your hands if you, if you type on the keyboard. The purpose of a car is to be able to drive it. And you buy a BMW, presumably, because you let you, you fancy yourself as a bit of an you know, enthusiast, you're a driver. They've got that sort of cachet, haven't they? And it's an aspirational product. But fundamentally, you'd hope it would be a safe one. And six years old isn't that old, really, in car terms. No, it's not old. I think you do buy them because it's like with an Audi, isn't it? They're, they're a premium brand or, or a Mercedes or something. Those three are really seen as German premium brands. It's not a good look at all, is it? Not in the slightest. So if you do, PSA, if you do have an older BMW that the airbag haven't been recalled on, then you might want to look into this. Agreed. You know, we cover Tesla and everything, so it's only fair to talk about BMW from time to time. Fine with me. I'm, I'd like my BMW, so it's good, good for me. We should maybe do a car section of this podcast as well as the when the games get a bit slow. Well, I think we might be at the slow, slow end of the game curve at the moment. I've got a bit to talk about today. Okay. Moving on, CounterPoint, a website I'm not terribly familiar with, but they seem to do market research as much as anything else, have released a story saying global smartphone market has declined by 14% year on year in quarter one 2023. But Apple have recorded the highest ever quarter one share. I mean, we're going to talk about Apple Apple's quarterly results later on in the show as the main show, but that's quite a decline in the smartphone market. Yeah, so what's decline here? Are we saying that people just aren't replacing their phones as frequently as they were of the is that what we're saying? Or people are going from having two phones to one phone? Or my, my understanding of this is people are just sticking with the phones they've got. They don't see need to upgrade it. And it's not the top tier manufacturers, Apple, Samsung, and others. The top five seem to have been okay in this period. But it's the smaller manufacturers, you know, this, presumably the Chinese manufacturers who make, I don't know, Blue or, or whatever the other sort of smaller brands are within this have been affected by this. Maybe companies like Lenovo as well being a smaller so it's just quite interesting that for years you could rely on smartphones share to go up and up and up because you're always in a developing world to rely on. You'd have the you know the established markets who'd be replacing their phone every year, every two years, or all the rest of it. But I also wonder if the pandemic has affected this too, where people realise they don't need to always be on the absolute cutting edge of smartphones because it's diminishing returns and what you're getting from these devices, which we've noted, neither of us, for example, well, I haven't updated my iPhone this year, but you hadn't updated your iPhone the two years or three years before that. So even you and I, as t- top enthusiasts of these things, aren't upgrading our phones every year. So the knock-on effect of that to people that don't actually care, as long as they can make, you know, get their WhatsApp messages, has got to be quite impressive. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you here. I think I've been on a two-year cycle for, for a little while, and I was thinking, actually, last week, I was like, what would make me upgrade my iPhone? You know, I was reading some of the rumors, obviously, for the show, and I thought, I don't know actually what would force me to upgrade. I'm, I could live another year without USB-C. I've lived this long without USB-C. So, so that wouldn't be it. So I'm happy to be on the two-year thing. And I think phones have made it really into all the generations, haven't they? The, the, the children at school have got them. Their parents have got them. And their grandparents have got them all now. So everybody's covered for having them. And generally, I guess, you've got 
very different upgrade cycles in there. You've probably got parents doing it every couple of years, like when the financing runs out or their contract. You've probably got the kids getting all the cast hands off and cast me downs. And you've probably got the older generation not not really fast as long as it runs, like you say, WhatsApp and that. So it probably is now starting to get to the point, and I've certainly seen this this year, where I've been trying to phase out my parents' phones because they couldn't upgrade to iOS 16. I thought, well, that's going to lock them out of getting 16, 17 and 18 or, or whatever we end up. So that's pushed us to upgrade a few people. So I reckon that will be the driver, is the minimum OS, because when the lights of WhatsApp stop working, that could actually trigger Apple's (laughs) hardware sales to to double, because WhatsApp won't run unless you've got the latest OS. It'd be quite interesting. Yeah, well... You say that, but I think they do have a bit of a grace period of a year or so where they'll go, right, it's an iOS version they won't support rather than the particular phone model, isn't it? So they might say, we'll support all the way back to iOS, I don't know, 15, 14, something like that. But at that point, they'll move on. Because so, in the Android world, there, there are probably people on WhatsApp versions that are ancient. So, so you have got that sort of tension between those things. I agree with you, though. I think at some point there's a software driver that people go, it's a bit old, my camera doesn't look good enough, you know, whatever that thing would be. I suspect most people are either, well, it's old, or oops, I've dropped it and smashed it and now I need to get another one. That's probably part of the thing that drives it too. Yeah, it would be interesting, actually. What are the drivers for upgrading? Is it, I want to have the latest? Is it the software? Is it, I was using the selfie camera and it, it didn't look very good on Instagram? Or is it, yeah, I've broken it and just took the opportunity. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Anyway, it's it sort of reflects what we've seen in the global PC market and the Mac share and all the rest of it with all these things declining over time anyway, this year particularly, because of that big tech spend and everything that went on before. And you don't always get an infinite mark until you. It's not a surprise that things eventually, growth will decline. And it's, it's, it's basic business that unless you put in something revolutionary or the next thing comes along, your cash cows are going to go over the hills and become sort of your dead dogs, aren't they? So, Is dead dogs a thing? Well, that's what I'd call a thing. Okay, fair enough. Now I, I should th- remember I should remember my two-by-two two grid from my uh, from my business skills, but it's I know I remember cash cow. I forget what, what comes after a cash cow. Yeah, no, same. I always remember the, the cash cow metaphor. Well, in the same vein, then, we've got obviously a link in the show notes to Google have announced the Google Fold which is a folding phone. We talked about it last week, I think it was, because there were some preview shots which looked like they were the real shots that have been leaked, the marketing images we discussed. Maybe this will be a driver, because I guess most people have got a, a phone that largely looks the same. Now it's all screen, it's got some cameras on the back. Maybe the fold world will start getting people to upgrade. Yeah, i got to admit, I'm quite interested in this, in as much as... I've come to the thought that the, these, the folding Samsung phones and now the folding Google phone are really interesting devices. It's something a little bit different over what we've had in our pockets for years and years. And, years. and we t- again, we talked about this, it must have been months ago in the podcast, about the two different form factors being the one that folds you know, like a, like a lady's compact mirror or a gentleman's compact mirror these days. You know, you unfold them and you've got ha- your half-size phone becomes a full-size phone and takes up less space in your pocket or your handbag or wherever, whatever it is you do. But you still end up with a, a device that's more or less the same size as the phones that we're used to now. And these other devices, which are, you know, fold into most of the size of an iPad, effectively. A 5.8-inch phone that folds out into a 7.6-inch tablet. In this case. And that's actually a really interesting device. You said before on the podcast that you could see yourself just carrying something like this rather than having to take a phone and, and an iPad. And Google may be onto something here. Yeah, if this was available, I would buy this. I use my iPad all the time for work, but if I was traveling and largely in meetings, 
that would be ideal for me that would be big enough and equally it's big enough for when you're in the hotel in the evening maybe you want to watch Ted Lasso or something you know you're not watching on a tiny phone I'd be definitely interested in this because I do flirt with getting another iPad mini again every now and again and then I put myself off it because I had one and I've sold it because I just didn't use it enough but I do really like that form factor and this would solve that problem but will Apple cannibalize iPad OS and then how would it work would it be running iPhone OS or would it be running iPad OS or would they end up merging them, them back into one so so it's going to be super interesting to see if Apple ever enter this space but this could definitely drive sales again I think yeah I gotta say it's a device I'd think about if I hadn't had such a wretched time with the last <coughs> pixel when I tried it for the podcast a couple of months back I'd, I'd actually be considering something like this because it's quite a compelling device the fact that you can you're doubling the screen space on your device aren't you by opening it and in the meantime it's still a perfectly good phone so it's almost like win-win. As long as the hinge is durable, and I think at this point Samsung have proved that the hinges on these things can be durable, you've got all the smarts of the excellent cameras that Google are known for, you've got very fast processors in the TensorFlow, you've got, I don't know, 85 90% of the apps that we are used to as iPhone users anyway on something like this. I can I could understand why some iPhone users or and iPad users would be giving this a side eye and thinking, actually, this could be the thing to make me switch. I'd be there. I'd probably buy one and try it if my company supported Android. But we've got a zero <laughs> tolerance policy to Android, so I'm I'm out. It would be of no use for ninety percent of my working week. Sure, but most companies would go as long as it's got security updates and it's up to date. They'd probably be fine with something like this, wouldn't they? Yeah. So you, you got to think. Saying that it's quite a lot more expensive than most companies would spring for anyway. This isn't your bog standard six hundred quid device. So. It's, I just think it's interesting, and it's something we as a podcast you keep an eye on, really, just because it is such a compelling device. I mean, it could launch and be a complete dog's dinner, second reference to dogs this podcast. Uh, you know, the, the, the hardware could be bad, it could fall apart. They, they may still have all the learning that, that Motorola and Samsung have done with their foldables to do. Then again, this could be a massive smash hit, and Google would finally make that dent in the market that they've been trying to do for a long time now. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I just want Apple to do this. Come on, Apple. It would be great to see them attempt this because they've got the software they've got the apps that would support this so it's not like they've got any issues there can they make the hardware work if anybody can they should be able to so it's weird that we've seen nothing in the last three to four years from apple but i don't know it'll be interesting because they were talking about an iphone ultra this would be an awesome entry for the iphone ultra wouldn't it like changing the form factor yeah, I agree with you. It would, it would be really quite compelling and it would spur sales again. If they're worried about declining sales, this is a whole new segment for them. And maybe, to answer your question, it runs iOS on the outside and iPadOS on the inside when you open it up. That sounds kind of cool. I'm, I'm there. Like, sign me up. Even if it was expensive and it meant I didn't have to buy a second device, like I was debating getting another iPad mini, it would close that idea down in my head and actually the, the price would possibly be justified. Yeah, I kind of go with you. So come on, Apple, sort it out. Give us our folding phone now. Yes, please. Moving on, it was just quite a cool concept I saw on 9to5Mac this week about a dynamic dock. So just to paint a word picture of some sort for this, the Apple dock isn't the most exciting thing in the world. All it really does is bounce to let you know something is happening. You might get a little icon under it to say something is running. In some cases, you will get notifications like for email and things like that to say one, two, three, four, five that is happening. But this was a concept somebody mocked up where you could actually have dynamic things in the same way you have dynamic widgets and active widgets on your iPhone. So the example given is if you were playing music, you'd actually get like a playing widget appear in your dock down at the bottom and you could hit pause on it, the album art would update and you just have a lot more fluidity to what was going on with your icons and things like that. I think this is a really cool idea. 
Yep, completely agree. Why wouldn't we have this? It also reminded me a little bit of when they first launched Force Press or 3D Press, I think, on your phone. And you get like a shortcut on the home screen. Maybe it would be to contacts and things if it was messages. This, it reminds me of that, but done done on the Mac. So, yeah, what, can we have this, please? Yeah, another thing we just want. Come on, Apple, you've got... We're back to conservatism again, and we've said this a few times on this show, that the whimsy is largely gone from Apple. Something like this would spark a bit of life back into the US, which has become a very predictable experience, I think. Other than them continually messing up notifications, I hate notifications on the Mac. I'm not a big fan of them on the iPhone either, for that matter, but I think notifications on the Mac and the whole system settings and control center on the Mac is abysmal. It's version one, isn't it? It doesn't feel like we're on the 20th revision here, or, or I can't remember what numbers of macOS we got up to, but they need to do something with, with it. The notifications is awful. I'm completely with you on this. And system settings is still a minefield, even though I'm using a Mac a lot more now. I know I'm not using it every day, but I'm using it a lot more, and it's it's hard to find stuff. I'm only using my iPad knowledge to find things, I think, because I'm thinking, how does my iPad work? No, there's too many things gone from system settings. There's there's too many restrictions and problems with it. For example, I think the whole set, for example, set my computer to go to sleep used to be a thing you could do in system settings. You now need to know a terminal command to do that. Why take away that kind of functionality from people who obviously rely on it? Unless they got some stats that said 10 people are using it, I guess. Doesn't matter. It's a regression. It's a computer operating system. Is it that hard to give somebody a control? Fair point. I just think it's poor show by Apple where you, you've got power users, pro users who, who rely on these features in the operating system. And now they've got to go off and learn some terminal foo, which is the complete opposite of what Macs should be. Macs were meant to be the intuitive things. It just works. Going and finding terminal commands to do what were, you know, fundamental parts of your system before is questionable. I'm with you. I completely agree. It, it is bonkers. I would yeah, concur. Fair enough. Moving on, just a very quick one. Asimco, who's a quite a good narrator of things like e-bike tech and all sorts of stuff, so I follow him on Mastodon, and he had a little toot out this week that Apple now has more than 975 million paid subscriptions, up 150 million year on year. So again, we're going to talk about Apple's results in a minute, but that's just an amazing amount of paid subscriptions. It's an amazing increase though, isn't it? That they can flex it that much year on year, like you say. Yeah. It's just, it's it's really notable how much the company has grown. So that's about 15% increase. That's not bad, is it? That's not bad in a year. If you think of your smartphone that have declined a little bit and your, your computers have declined a little bit, if you can rely on that kind of revenue growth through subscriptions, you're on quite a good path. It's no wonder they keep focusing on it. Yeah, it's, yeah. And it, let's get to it later when we when we talk talk results. Yeah, fair enough. Do you want to tell us about the next story? I quite like this one iMac at 25. So the iMac is 25 years old. Obviously, it's changed in that time. But the the cool and colourful Mac that changed Apple and the world is, is the title of the Macworld article. So I never had this Mac, this CRT Mac, so the one that had a deep display. But when they came out, it just looked amazing, didn't it? It was 98, 99, they became a lot more prevalent. But you'd see them and it was just like, oh, right, computers can be colourful. You know, we didn't have flat screens. Everything was largely beige i don't think we'd got into everything being black by then or, or silver but everything was beige in pc land and i was a pc user at this time it wasn't until about 2002 i got my first mac so i was still four years out but these things looked amazing and in a way i think we've all missed a bit of color everything's just got silver and black now 
but it's just fantastic what a design what a you know game changing design yeah I had one of these I had one of the original Blueberry IMAX it was it was an amazing computer like you say it really injected a bit of colour and for those that may forget the i and iMac stood for internet because they they came with a modem and you could just plug them in and off you went it was the internet mac yeah i, I did know it was internet but obviously that the i has just become everything now isn't it or did and now i've phased it out again but to me though it just made a mac look a lot more friendlier you know to your average user it just didn't look quite such a scary beige bit that you need a degree to operate or a certification yeah, that the concept of an all-in-one computer, which wasn't new to the iMac. I think it was the 25th anniversary Mac was the first one that was actually all-in-one that had an LCD and all the rest of it. And then Johnny Ive and, and Jobs came out with the iMac in, in one color to begin with, the Blueberry one, and it was an all-in-one unit. Screen was built into it. You're shaking your head. Did I say something wrong? You said Blueberry. I'm fairly confident it's Bondi Blue. Bondi Blue. Sorry, Blueberry came afterwards. You're quite right. So th- th- that first one, and then the Bondi, the other colors came afterwards, and there was orange and strawberry, and eventually flower power, and and there was a cow-colored one, and all sorts of things. Dalmatian. Dalmatian. That was the one. But the con- the concept of a screen with a handle on it, and then you just plugged the keyboard and the mouse. Well, the terrible hockey puck mouse plugged into the keyboard by USB. The- this was also unique for having USB at this point as well. Very few PCs had USB at this point. You power cable in, and then your phone line into the modem on the back. And that was it. Off you went. And I think the one came with iOS. No, it didn't. It came with macOS 8.2, maybe 8.1, I think it came with. Maybe pushing it to 8.5, but uh, I vividly remember it still running classic macOS at that point. Oh, yeah, it was definitely on classic. But for me, it had a couple of things. One, it had a little, a little door, so you could hide all the cables away, have it all very neat. It didn't have a floppy drive, which at the time was a very bold move because everybody was still very much on floppies at the time. It had a DVD or, or a, sorry, a CD drive in the middle of the, under the screen that you, you could push the button. And what blew my mind was... The power button was on the keyboard. You turn it on by pushing a power button on the keyboard, which at the time was not a thing because keyboards on PCs were very, just basic keyboards. They hadn't really changed. And it also inspired a lot of people to make peripherals in the same colors. Like Epson did a printer in the same sort of uh, semi-transparent plastic with the colors. And you'd get other devices and storage and you could buy third-party floppy drives and things. So it did spawn a whole whole aesthetic. And I really liked how Apple used the same sort of aesthetic on their Power Macs. And you will remember as much as I do some of our professors at uni having the Power Mac G3 on their desk with the matching screen. And it just looked a fantastic piece of kit to use. Actually looked an enjoyable piece of technology to use and fun. And and then everybody's got serious since. And I know the recent iMacs kind of lent back into this. But only just, I think. They're still quite muted colours predominantly. And I I don't know, it'd be nice to go back to this properly. I think Apple could do a bit more in this space. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's the whimsy we're talking about before. The, and the current range of only 24-inch iMacs, where's our 27-inch iMacs, Apple, are lovely colours on the back. If you look at the back of them, they're very bright. They're, they're beautifully, I presume it's anodized aluminium. They look terrific. But I agree with you, they're muted on the front and they've, taken, they've toned the colour down on the chin. And I don't know why they've done that. I suppose you're professional and you need to pay attention. But I don't think anybody would mind looking at a bit of colour on the front of the computer. The bold colour on the back should be everywhere, in my, in my view. When you see them in the shop, you're like, that colour's amazing. And then you look at the front, it's like, oh, it's less amazing at this end. The piece I actually look at looks less fun. But they only had this colourful iMac for this 
I know, I know they did multiple upgrades and, and different versions, but they only really had that one industrial design. And then they went to the white angle poise one, which was an LCD on, on a round ball, which I had. And I love that thing. That really got me into the Apple ecosystem. But it was disappointing yeah, was- that the color didn't last very long. It was a great computer. There was the brief detour into the eMac as well, which was like the iMac for education, which was white, but had a much bigger screen. So the, the, that form factor did go on a little bit longer. Yeah, a little bit, but they weren't. I don't know how popular they were. They weren't that popular here in the UK, were they? You barely saw them, even in education. But yeah. maybe, maybe they were bigger in America. I, I saw one in my life. I had to work on it for someone who'd managed to buy one somehow. And it lasted a long time, actually. I was still fixing that thing. Not that I was fixing it. I was updating software because they were completely clueless about managing their computers, as many people are. But yeah, it, it, it lasted well, that computer. And the the iMac, this iMac, though, got Apple a lot of outside interest, I think. It wasn't just the diehard Apple fans that were interested. All of a sudden, people were looking at this going, wow. And then, obviously, S10 came out in the 2000s with this and it really rebooted the company because it went from a very beige company with lack of direction to a very colorful company with with some direction and some serious change and obviously fast forward 25 years now and apple's one of the biggest companies in the world whereas it very much was not when when they launched this yeah uh, it was there was some clever advertising there as well. It certainly got people that weren't Mac users to look over there, and then you, they followed it up with things like Rip Mix Burn, that whole slightly dodgy uh, advertising campaign that you could stick a CD in your computer and, and rip it to the hard drive and then burn a new new CD because it was a CD burner that was built into it as well. It was just they they hit a real sort of streak, and then following it up with the iPod and everything else that came afterwards. But the iMac, I would say, started it. It was that was the revolutionary product that brought apple into the next generation it also brought design to the masses like think about how your how your tools are designed rather than just having a beige ugly box and people haven't really thought about design obviously apple have carried on with the design trend which is why i find it hard to believe they don't have a chief design officer for a company that's so wedded to design and really pushing forward the sector that they don't have that position anymore after johnny Ive. i think they should they should have a design person at the very high up in the company not at the very top because then we end up with decisions like we've had in recent years where we have bad keyboards and no ports but i still think it it should be a key role for them but no without the imac i think we'd be in a very different place so it's it's interesting it's 25 years old and can we keep having some more color please yeah i agree with you let's bring the color back and let's have it on the pro things as well i mean let's have this the the iphone pro max and pro i'd like it in brighter colors than they are now they're they're far too muted completely agree and especially i don't use a case anymore so give me if you come out with a nice shiny bright one this year I, that probably would encourage me a little bit that'd be a factor in my purchase yeah you freak me out saying you don't wear i don't have a case in your phone it's just smashity smash is all i can see oh i've just got used to it and it's a lovely thing to have in your hand i must say but it just freaks me out the thought of not having a case on it you just got you just got to go with it fair enough tell us about the next story very briefly, Vamoof, the manufacturers of the bike you have, have got an event on the 9th. I don't know how I found this, but they've got an event on the 9th of May, which is tomorrow. So I'd be interested to see what they've got coming out. I wasn't going to say any more, but maybe we can pick up on that next week and follow up and or news and see, see what exciting new stuff they've got. Yeah, I would be keen to see what else they may be bringing to market, because I think they're kind of 
they've had success with the S3, which is the precursor to my bike, and the S5, which is my bike. They really struggled to fill sales with those. They put the prices up as well, so I think that's been fairly poorly received. That it's quite it was quite an expensive thing, and it's now much more expensive than the bikes are in it. But it, this links well with what we were saying a minute ago. They've got the design chops, which I think a lot of other e-bikes don't. All they've got is the bike they had before, and they've slapped a big battery onto it. Whereas Van Moof is a lot more integrated. You don't see the wires, you don't see the battery, all that kind of stuff. So I'm quite keen to see what they do next because it's a good company that makes good products largely that seems to be sort of pricing themselves out of the market. So I hope what this is is a more budget-focused e-bike that's a little more robust. The early S3s had some issues around their gearboxes and things like that. Maybe simplified a little bit. Maybe put you put a chain on it. That'd be okay, Van Moof. It can have a chain, but chains have worked on bikes for years and years and years, you know, or a belt drive or something like that. And then you could make life a little bit easier. So that's what I'd hope to see is a focus on that, and then deliver a few orders. And I think Van Moof will have a hit in their hands. Yeah, I've not got a Van Moof, but I love the design of them. I just want to see where they go with it because one day maybe I will plump for one. Fair enough. Good. Okay. I think that'll do us for news unless we missed a story. Well, uh, we have missed a story. I just had one at the end because we were talking about airlines. I could have put this in follow-up. But air travel chaos looms as US keeps 5G altimeter refit deadline. So basically, the I'm sorry, I'm trying to find the graph where we're talking. There's all the, I, I don't know about the bands, but, but you know, they're, they're pushing on with the 5G rollout that they've had to pause several times because it could cause chaos with aeroplanes in America, was what I was reading about. Super interesting that I had no idea that 5G was a big issue with aeroplanes. Like, I think I had heard something about it a few years ago, but it seemed it was all dealt with, especially with you saying, I could just use my phone on an aeroplane. And obviously you flew to the States. But it sounds like the States are saying, well, the 1st of July, we're going to be cracking on with the 5G rollout. So everybody on... on with airplanes you guys have got to get this fixed in time and we're in a few months away the deadline was agreed and pushed back a while ago so it's now actually looming and i think operators are going to struggle to hit it well i had 5g as soon as i landed as, as discussed last week so i don't really understand what's going on well that's kind of what i was thinking i, I thought, thought this was all, all, all done and dusted but apparently it's still an issue and i was reading about in france there are buffer zones around airports where 5g signals are restricted now i wonder whether this is just as you were talking, you were saying you had like, was it millimeter wave on your phone? So maybe it's different types of 5G that you can and can't get because it is a much more complicated frequency than what we've seen before. But just super interesting to me that this isn't a solved problem and yet here we are wildly pushing on with 5G rollout in most countries. So that, that was it. Just a small bit yeah. of follow-up. No, interesting. Worth keeping an eye on. Move on to media. Media. You're up. I'm up. So I've done the, the joy of having... The king have a new hat thrown at me, as far as I can work out, is that we've got extra bank holidays, so I've had a bit more time off, so I'm able to consume some media. So I embarked, I took one for the team, and I embarked on Silo, which is the new show on Apple TV+. Plus. It's pretty good, i got to say. That, that If you haven't seen the trailer, the concept is there's a lot of people in a bunker, something awful appears to have happened outside, the people in the bunker know it's not safe to go outside, the crime of asking I want to go outside has to be honoured and you get sent outside. If you get sent outside you have to clean. So there's a video camera in the canteens of the silo which goes down like 200 stories or something like that. 150 stories and 10,000 people live in it. If you're sent outside to clean you've got to clean the camera lens off because it gets mucky over time for the irradiated looking wasteland that's outside and then you take about five steps and you die. So I haven't given anything away really because that's the first episode of silo. There's two available on Apple TV Plus at the moment. 
it's a lot of I wouldn't say it's a lot of fun, but it's quite a, it's a good looking show, as is the standard for Apple TV. It's quite a compelling story. The secret is, you know, what's going on outside, are they lying to them, which isn't a surprise for these sort of post apocalyptic bunker type stories. There's obviously a bit more to it than that. They keep finding things. There's relics, so like they find a Pez dispenser <laughs> in one of one of the shows, and that's a relic, and you're not allowed to have relics. They're banned by the, the people that sort of run the uh, the silo. Interesting. I've enjoyed the two episodes. I'm looking forward to the third one. I haven't given up on it. Great cast. Rashida Jones, David Olawayo, others. Very good. Interesting. It sounds like I might enjoy that, actually. I haven't watched anything new because I've, I've, I think I've got too much in flight at the moment. We've got Race Across the World, Ted Lasso, Succession, which is obviously odd at the moment, which I haven't seen today's one yet. But there's a lot in flight. I'm, I don't want to pick up another one just yet. But as soon as I think Race Across the World's going to come to an end or Ted Lasso, I can then maybe slot this in that gap. But this is definitely high up my list. It looks fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's worth a watch, I think. I've, like I say, I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying it so far. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next one. A plus. A plus. Also on me, uh, we said last week we were both going to watch Citadel. I did my homework. Have you watched Citadel? No, I haven't got anywhere near it. I've barely been in this weekend, so apologies on my part. But is that on Amazon? Yeah, so it's an Amazon show, and it stars Priyanka Chopra-Jones and Rob Stark from Game of Thrones. I've forgotten the actor's name. Madden. David Madden? Bruce Madden? Some, Richard Madden. Richard Madden, who's also in 1917 right at the end. Uh, he was in The Bodyguard as well, so he's a Scottish actor. He was touted to be the next James Bond, actually, for a little while there. And then the teasers for Citadel were very James Bond-looking. It was him and Stanley Tucci sitting at a bar. Gin and tonics, not gin and tonics, what am I thinking of? Uh, vodka martinis. Uh, with the Hall of Sin, you know. They were thinking that St- Stanley Tucci was going to be the next Q and, and he was going to be the next James Bond. It's not that. It's directed by, or con- it's a concept by the Russo brothers who did the last Avengers movies as well as Community and Captain America 2 and others. They're quite good directors, the Russo brothers. I would describe it as bond-like fun you know they're obviously having a bit of a laugh with the tropes of a bond thing and the whole amnesia do you remember you were a secret agent thing and you chuck a knife at someone and they catch it because they've still got the reactions even if they don't remember they're a secret agent so i've watched two of the three episodes that are available it's quite good i wouldn't say it's must watch stuff but it's it's disposable fun yeah but sometimes you want that don't you you want to make it's more of a background show maybe the children in the room and you're talking or whatever but it's a good show and you're engaged but maybe it's not not prime time kind of like i watched operation fortune the other day that was just an okay show to have on in the background it didn't set the world on fire wasn't the best thing i've ever seen but it was just okay telly and and i was entertained which is what you want isn't it absolutely so it's good fun i guess of the two i'd watch silo Right, okay. Well, then maybe that, that sets my priority. Question, you mentioned, I can't remember the actor's name now, being the next James Bond. Do we know who the next James Bond's going to be? Nope. Right, okay. I didn't think we did. I didn't think I'd miss that, but yeah, all quiet on that one. I, I'm curious to know. It's it's a weird copyright situation, isn't it? I think that Amazon, I think, actually own all that stuff now, don't they? Because they bought MGM. Yeah, so Amazon own all the Bond stuff. So if you go on Prime, you can find every Bond movie. They've got this now as well. Which is it's a made for Amazon Prime thing, so maybe this is a hint. I don't know, or a trial. Yeah, it could be. I guess it'd be interesting. Yeah, I don't know how MGM and it was Broccoli, wasn't it? That that was the producer. How all that goes together. So I'm sure there's something in there. 
I like a bit of Bond, i got to say. They've got a bit disposable recently. I, I thought Casino Royale was a terrific film. I thought Daniel Craig was a great Bond. But then there were a couple of really dodgy ones. Quantum of Solace is possibly one of the worst films I've ever seen. So the, the quality can be variable. And the last one, I can't remember, something die? No Time to Die. No Time to Die it was. Had its moments, but and some terrific acting like Rami Malek and Daniel Craig's always good value. But I got the impression Daniel Craig was phoning it in a bit, you know what I mean? He just looked tired of the whole thing, which is kind of where Bond was in that too, but by no means a classic. Agreed, it wasn't a classic. Now, there are some good ones. I actually watched The Living Daylights this week, which is from my childhood with Timothy Dalton, and I just love the Aston Martin in it. It's fantastic. Exploding milk bottles. It was prime Bond. Fantastic. That is a terrific film, actually. I think The Living Daylights is a really good film, and Dalton... It was a far better Bond than he got time to get time for, I think. Yeah, and he did two films, didn't he? It was disappointing. Yeah. But I I really enjoyed it. I And I've bought all the Bonds. I've got them all in 4K on iTunes. It's fantastic. It looks great. I, I just love it. It's such a good show. License to Kill. That was Dalton's other one, wasn't it? That's that, that's a terrific film. It's one of the best Bond films, I think. Have I got that right? No, License to Kill is Roger Moore. Okay. Because that's with Christopher it? Walken, isn't it? Yeah, you're quite right. Yeah, that's terrible, actually, that one. <laughs> oh, I like that one. Oh, it's terrible. It's Grace Jones and the... Although the soundtrack, is it Ahad, the, the, the theme song for that one, I think? Oh, maybe we'll be. We're, we're straying off into territory now, aren't we? Well, it's the media section. We're allowed to... Lic- yeah, you are right. Sorry, it is licensed to kill. kill. I was Thank wrong. you. It was, you're, you're thinking View to a Kill. I was thinking View to a Kill. My mistake. Sorry. No, License to Kill is is a great Bond film. It, it, as a standalone one, I think it might actually be the best one. It's a lot grittier than, than the rest of them, that's for sure. I can't remember much of I'm going to have to watch License to Kill. Is it where it starts with a wedding at the start? I think it is. Isn't Felix Leiter getting married? Yeah, yeah, that's the yeah. one. Right, I'm going, to yeah. watch, I'm going to try and watch that again. You should. It's great. Moving on, I also made it to the cinema. I got to see Guardians of the Galaxy 3 on Saturday. I understand you haven't seen any of the Guardians of the Galaxy films. No, I'm so far behind on everything Marvel, so I kind of pick and choose a little bit. You're uh, you're doing your children a disservice by not showing them all this Marvel stuff, you know. I know. I did say to them, "There's a load of Marvel on Disney Plus. Should we watch some of it?" And I kind of get mm, not really. my kids seem to be only boys in the country that aren't that fussed by superheroes, so I need to do a bit more work there. I think. Well, I'll just say. I thoroughly enjoyed it. The first Guardians of the Galaxy movie is one of the best of the MCU Marvel Cinematic Universe films. The second one was a bit... Mm. And then the third one is terrific again. The director, James Gunn, is f- fantastic. He's, he does really good stuff. He did the Suicide Squad for, for DC as well, amongst other things. It's a, a real good, irreverent sense of humour, great taste in music. Touch of the Quentin Tarantino's about him sometimes, I would say. This is an interesting sort of directorial thing in as much as even though he's directed these three films for Marvel, he's now taken over the role as creative director for the DC Cinematic Universe. So he's actually the enemy <laughs> at this point. He's taken over Superman and Batman and all that kind of stuff for DC completely and has already written off a bunch of films that they apparently had in production. So all the stuff that's come before, he's starting again. And he did do The Suicide Squad, which is a fantastic film. If you haven't watched any of the DC stuff, it's worth, it's worth a watch. Not Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad. There's a difference. And then the Peacemaker TV show as well. So he's terrific. I hope I wish him well for that. But Gardens of Galaxy 3, if you, if you like that kind of thing, it was great. Yeah, because Marvel have got a much better batting average than DC, haven't they? Just generally, like, DC is can be very hit and miss. And I love the Nolan ones, 
but there's been some not great ones since I did see a trailer at the cinema today for Blue Beetle which is a DC film I wasn't sure if I'm honest from the trailer if you've seen that trailer I haven't seen the trailer I knew it was coming the only there's been Shazam the first Shazam was okay wasn't great it was okay and then the batman with very emo batman and it was was also really quite good i thought yeah i actually have seen the batman now and actually quite enjoyed that i must say i watched that quite recently cool that's it for me for media i think you've got a film as well though i've got a film so i've been to cinema today with my children and we watched super mario brothers the movie which was a bit of a last minute decision i was surprised it was still on it was quite full actually not a big screen because obviously it's it must have been out for a wee while now like a month or more but we watched it and so you, you had two people in their 40s and two people in their 10s and actually the film landed really well now we haven't played all the mario games we haven't played all the mario games that have ever passed but we really enjoyed it me and the boys especially loved it so there's lots of references to all the games we've played i thought actually they did it in quite a good way there were some funny bits so yeah recommendation for me, if you're into a bit of Mario, I would recommend watching it. It's only 90 minutes long. It will be out on streaming, I'm sure, or available to purchase in the not-too-distant future. I probably won't rush to watch it again, but I generally enjoyed it, and it was nice to watch it with my boys. I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> you don't sound that glad I enjoyed it. No, I'm quite glad you enjoyed it. I, I, let's face it, you should find enjoyment where you can. If you enjoyed it, you enjoyed it. I'm not going to knock the fact you enjoyed it. I don't think it's for me. It's a, we have got a crossover with Guardians of the Galaxy because Chris Pratt is the voice of Mario in that as well. I'm not a big fan of Chris Pratt particularly, but no, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did note that the original Super Mario Brothers movie is on Amazon Prime, so if you want to watch the Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo one, I think it is, you can knock yourself out with that as well. I've not seen that in a long, long time. I can't even remember what that's like, so maybe I need to yeah, do a comparison. I, I recently learned that Ho- Ho- Bob Hoskins thought it, the script was so bad and it was such a ridiculous movie. He spent most of it completely drunk and almost every minute of him on screen he is off his face, as was the co-star. So I kind of want to watch it again now to see how that's really obvious. Yeah, okay, maybe 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 we need to go watch it. What, what, what streaming service do you say it was on? Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, okay. Good. Anything else in media? No, not for me. Should we move on to games? Let's move on to games. So I've got a little bit of, of, of talking to do about PlayStation Plus. So I subscribe to PlayStation Plus, as do you. I was looking through the catalogue of things available to me. I think at some point I've slipped up and I've upgraded to a level of service above the one, I think, beyond the two games a month. I seem to have access to a lot more games than that. I'm not entirely sure how. But anyway, as I was scrolling around, I could see I had a couple of things available to me. And one was Doom Eternal, which I thought, oh, I haven't played that. This is the re- all-new Doom. When they redid it a few years ago, I bought Doom for the PC. They remade Doom for the PC. It was terrific. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Doom Eternal comes along. I thought, I'll have a go with that on my PlayStation. I download it. It's quite a big download in the region of 50 or 60 gigs, I think, as all games are these days. I went to fire it up, and the first thing it went was, please create an account on this service. No way to skip it. Nothing to do with it. So I just deleted it. I hate that too, by the way. I think I have. I think I've bought Doom Eternal at some point, and so I have played it. But it cheeses me off. I hate it when I've got to sign in, especially on the PlayStation. It's just, it's just, it's never been good, has it, to sign in basis? Let's go with that. So, um, yes, super disappointing. But it's rubbish, isn't it? Why can't it all just link? That's the dream, isn't it? There's no need to do it. And my Xbox, when I install games, it just creates an account for you on that service or it gives you their, their tag or whatever. It really winds me up to such an extent that I just deleted it again. So, well done, whoever makes Doom Bethesda. 
you, you lost a potential customer there. I might have bought DLC if I thought it was an amazing game, but no, I'm out. So that was gone. I'm going to change the running order slightly and talk about the other one. I've, all, I've played a lot of Grid Legends, which is this month's, one of this month's free games that come with PlayStation Plus. It's fantastic. You'll like it. It's a car racing game. Got a bit of a career mode. I'm going to be controversial and say I think it looks better at 120 frames per second than Gran Turismo. It's a lot more arcadey than Gran Turismo. Lots of nice customization options. Cars you recognize. Here's the thing for somebody from Gran Turismo. The cars can get damaged. So if you drive it along the side of the racetrack, it will get scars and bits of bodywork will eventually come off it. So that's a win, frankly, as far as I'm concerned. A lot more forgiving on the controllers. I haven't lost a race yet, so I'm not that skillful. So maybe I need to up the difficulty level a bit. But it also said, this is an EA game. You can create an account or you can skip it if you just want to do the single player. Skip, skip, skip. Job done. So I'm very impressed with Grid Legends. Looks great. Good story. Great game. No complaints at all. That is good because Legends, actually, Grid Legends came out the same sort of time as GT7 and therefore I don't think really got the praise it should have done. I think Codemasters are usually, usually pretty good at damage because on whatever the rally game I bought was, what's that called? Dirt. Colin McCray. Dirt. Dirt. So Dirt 5, I think I bought, that's got damage on it and it is really good. So I, I did look at this, but because it was the same time as GT, I didn't buy it because I thought it's too similar. But I like, Maybe, maybe I need to go back and have, a, have another go at it because it sounds quite good and I think my son would quite enjoy it as well. I think he would too. It's it's really good. And you can play through like a story mode which has got a couple of famous actors in it. Or you can just skip all that and start a career or do the odd race or all the rest of it. But very impressed. I got to say, I, I remember playing one of the original grids back in the day and thinking it was quite a cool game. I've got an affinity for Codemasters too. They made some great games back in the day, Colin McRae Rally and others and, and the Dirt games too. But this, this is great. You know, and it's actually, I'd go as far as to say, pretty. Things like when you're racing in the rain, the effects of the rain hitting the screen and running down the screen in front of you look amazing, as do the sort of reflected brake lights and things like that and the water on the track. People taking photographs of you as you drive by, so you suddenly get a strobe effect on the side and things. It's a really pretty game. Sold. Yeah, all right, I'll put that on the list. Third one, Chivalry 2, also this month's game of the month for PlayStation Plus. Installed it played the tutorial. I had to swing a sword at some logs. It was too complicated. I deleted it. <laughs> wow. Okay. I know that feeling though. I've played games that way. You just, you know you're not going to get on with it. So you just, it's best just to walk away, isn't it? Yeah, I, I had to swing your sword and I had to whip my camera around at the same time. And I'm like, I, why would I do this? I, I don't want to look in the other direction to the way I'm swinging my sword. And I guess it's to, you got momentum and all the rest of it to build up. But I did not like it. And I think this is part of a problem with too much choice that, you know, Xbox Games Pass and whatever tier of PlayStation I'm on gives you. It's almost disposable to download these kinds of, unless they're really compelling to begin with. You're just going to delete them. Yep. That, that is it. They've got to get you in the door with something. And I think there are many games we've all played where you, there is a learning curve, Civilization, for example, and you persevere through it. But some games you just know it's not worth it. So why, why bother? There's, there's so much out there now that you, you have got choice and largely quite free choice. Yep. So that's my report on PlayStation games this month. We've done better than me. So but Grid is one I should probably take a proper look at as we do like racing some cars in this house. I was going to touch briefly on one thing doom earlier i was in a shop today and they are selling for 20 pounds i didn't buy it but they're selling a doom 
commemorative floppy disk for the 30th anniversary of Doom 1. I just saw it and just made me made me smile. What do you get? You literally get a floppy disk. I guess it's just a floppy disk. I don't know. I didn't really say much on the on the box, but I have put a link in the show notes. So it's, yeah, 30th anniversary limited edition floppy disk. It's about $25, £30, £20, give or take, in the UK. So you get an embossed floppy disk replica. There's only... 1,993 available worldwide they're individually numbered it's made out of a zinc alloy with a copper plating it's got a display stand and a presentation box so it's stock there it is but if you go to House of Fraser in Cheltenham near where I live they're, they're about three or four on, on the shelf so there you go I won't be rushing to buy this. Uh, that's different me neither but it just made me smile because I know we both played Doom on a floppy from a floppy disk back probably in I played probably in 94, I guess. So um, it just made me smile. That was all true. Fair enough. And then I've just popped a link in to 20 new games on Apple Arcade this month. So for anybody that's subscribed to Apple Arcade, there's 20 new games added. Quite a mixture of games, to be fair. Apparently Cityscapes is going to be quite good. It's got Farming Simulator 20 on it, which is obviously a few years old. But for my kids, that's ideal for them to play on their iPads. And it's all included in the, in the family apple one subscription that we have so just i haven't played many of the games but i just thought i'd mention it and yeah there's some good stuff in there if you've got children i think fair enough good stuff should we dive into the main show oh main show what are we talk about this week then so we're done an hour and 10 minutes and we're going to talk about the main show but i, I think we can deal with this in, in a fairly straightforward fashion so this week it's worth talking about apple's quarter one 2023 earnings release which they did last week just after the podcast in fact so they were very pessimistic this time, Apple and analysts, about the production of what was what the results were going to be this quarter. The consensus among analysts was for a total revenue of $122.85 billion, not a small amount of money, as we say every quarter, which means they were expecting a decline of around $1 billion compared to quarter one 2022, a decline of a $1 billion year over year. It's just, it's a number you can't really get your head around, but then when you look at Apple, a billion actually isn't a big number anymore. No, but here, here's the kicker. Apple actually recorded a revenue of $123.95 billion with a profit of $34.6 billion, representing an all-time revenue record for the company with a 5% year-on-year revenue decline. So, you know, fair enough. The, the, the market goes up, which is why you get a decline, but actually it's one of their best quarters for this, which is just amazing. Yeah, it's an odd one, this, because I think we were all expected to be low. Apparently they're not selling M2s as much as they'd anticipated and they'd halted production and we all had a bit of that and I think everybody's expecting a big job but actually what's happened in reality is they've done all right they haven't it's not amazing but it's not the worst quarter ever and the world hasn't ended so I think the the long story story is it's all right like the world's all right They're, they're still playing on and they haven't had lots of amazing new releases have they everything's been pretty evolutionary there's not been anything revolutionary coming out yet so it'll be interesting to see if the headset gets announced, if there's major iOS changes, macOS changes, all that then start driving some sales of, of new kit. Because in this in this period, what we had new MacBook Pros, which were just a, a minor iteration on the M1 ones, there's not really been much else. Yeah, that's fair. I and mean, just to flip through the various categories, so the iPhone was 65.78 billion, 
The Mac was 7.74 billion versus 10.85 billion last time, so it's obviously dropped a little bit. I keep I have to remind myself I'm saying billion every single time I say these things. iPad 9.4 billion versus 7.25 billion. Wearables 13.48 versus 14.70. And services, and services were the only sort of thing that really saw an increase. Services 20.78 billion versus 19.5 billion. So a significant growth in services. Yeah, which is impressive because they haven't really done much in the services space, but it's just steadily just just going on a nice little upwards trajectory. So whether that's the apps that are being sold through the store, whether more people are subscribing to Apple One or Apple Music, but it's the direction of travel is very impressive. Well, I think and we've we've talked the rest of these categories to death. I think the iPhone will see a bump in quarter three because it always does when they release a new iPhone. So it's going to go down. You get a small bump from an interesting new color and people buying them for Christmas. But other than that, you get the big bump in September and then it goes down. So eh. the Mac, we knew this was going to happen to. The M2 hasn't really set the world on fire. Everybody bought their Macs during the pandemic. For you and I, with M1 Macs, there's no compelling reason to upgrade to an M2 because it's not all that. I talked personally to my father when he bought a, a new MacBook the other week, uh, the other month. I had steered him in the way of an M1 because there was no point in him spending the extra money on an M2. He's not going to appreciate a nice blue square design or the better panel. All he wanted was the best value Mac he could get. And I suspect that's the story right across the board, actually. Yeah, if you're in the market for that, fine, and you can afford it, great, but otherwise, no big deal. The iPad, we've said, is a lost line to me at the moment. It's, it's too unclear for anybody to buy things, and I think this shows that. Software is what's holding the iPad back at the moment, not hardware. Wearables probably do okay over the Christmas period because, let's face it, AirPods are a massive seller. All the other bits and pieces like watches and things, they're good Christmas presents, so it makes sense that they're going to do quite well this quarter. Not significantly well than, than the sort of year on year. So, interesting, but services are where it comes back to, and services are a thing that, as long as you keep people in the ecosystem, they're probably going to subscribe to Apple TV, they're probably going to subscribe to music, they're probably going to have to get out of their five gigs of iCloud backups because the notifications are driving them crazy. So it, that it's a good market for them. Yeah, I agree. I think the, the graph I always find quite interesting is the pie chart, and it shows that the iPhone accounts for 54% of their revenue, and then services is 22%. So basically, three quarters of the company is iPhone and services, which is still two iPhone oriented and for years they've been trying to balance the scales a bit better but it's it's a really tricky one then you've got wearables in at nine percent which doesn't surprise me even though wearables are really prevalent because you see obviously airpods and watches everywhere but people keep their watches for a long time and in apple terms they're not the most expensive device and it's the same with the airpods people keep them for a long time they are they're not consumables but they're accessories aren't they the wearables category at the moment is accessories that may obviously change if headset gets lumped in there because that will be a very expensive wearable item but it's amazing it's in at nine percent and then the max at eight percent which again is a little surprising because most Macs are a thousand pounds plus but only eight percent but again not everybody has a mac everybody has an iphone in essence and the same on ipad ipad is down to seven percent of the business so you've got wearables mac and ipad are roughly the same this quarter roughly the same size chunks of the pie chart if that makes sense but super interesting Mm. So there's two links in the show notes for listeners. There's the 9 to 5 Mac overall reporting on the figures and then all these pie charts and things that Chris is talking about is in the Six Colors link. Jason Snell at 9 to 5, 6 Colors always does an amazing job on turning the raw numbers into charts. And if you like charts, there's plenty of them to look at. He clearly spends a lot of time in numbers, i got to say. These look like numbers charts to me. 
Yeah, they probably are numbers. I mean, why wouldn't you use it? You get the license for free. It's pretty easy to use. And I'm sure he's got it set up so you can just plumb the num- the new numbers in for the next quarter and it just update the chart and, and off you go. They are good charts though, if you just want to visualise it because it's quite hard to take the numbers in sometimes, I think. But it's yeah. interesting to see the year-on-year differences and how they're up and how they're down and that. But obviously, on the whole, they're doing all right. Well, if you scroll down to services revenue, which is a nice purple chart as you're looking at it, you can see the sort of, so he's got the overall trend lines on these graphs as well for when listeners come to look at it. And you look at all these other ones and it's up and down and you get slight bumps as the market's grown. Services revenue has just grown steadily since it was introduced in quarter three, whatever year that was. Yeah, impressive growth in services. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, the charts he's got starts at quarter three, 2018. So, you know, you've got a good four to five years in there and it is on a you know steady trajectory obviously apple tv plus has come out in that time probably news plus is launched in that time we've got the apple one bundle iCal plus is now a thing so they have added a lot more lines in there but it's just slowly evolved yeah over time they're not going anywhere soon either but you can see why they're they're pushing services hard because it it must be working because obviously last week we talked about them pushing adverts on us too much but the numbers probably speak for themselves in that it's worth it for them yeah, it does, it does concern me though. I was listening to the Upgrade podcast this week and they were talking about potential Fitness Plus subscription, Plus Plus subscription effectively, where maybe they use some sort of chat GPT or, or analytics based on your exercise performance to give you, say, for example, a tailored workout or to give you a different read on the various health stats that it gives you. And I think that's a dangerous way to go. Once upon a time, that would have just been an upgrade to the operating system or the software. Or they just said, hey, We've got all your data, it stays on your device, obviously, but we can do this kind of stuff with you and we can say, I think the example Jason Snell gave was, you know, I'm a runner, I've been a runner before, if I do, if I do the couch to 5k again, it should be able to calculate my intervals based on how it knows I run, rather than sort of the set ones that you get in most of the couch to 5k applications. And that seems like a, a no-brainer. Yeah, that'd be great. You've got the data, you don't know what exercise is like, you don't know what heart variability is like, all that kind of stuff. You can see how hard I'm working. You build me a personalized workout routine. Then they start to charge for that. And then it becomes a services revenue. And you can see from looking at these numbers, the attraction in that. If we can build more stuff, eco another two or three dollars here, a couple of pounds there, across all the services revenue from these people we know are already paying, we can make that graph grow a little bit faster. And we can account for always having to grow every part of our business all the time so yeah ipads go down a little bit we still sell as many but look at that revenue chart look at the sales chart over there and that that does bother me yeah i i agree with you but every every analyst wants to see growth don't they what's your growth strategy and so they've got to keep growing these numbers haven't they they're trying to extract more money out of existing people and more money out of new people in essence that's their, their two ways of growth isn't it so they're going to keep doing it. And whether we're going to see services grow into other areas, I don't know. Maybe classicals in area that they're going to do something with. I wouldn't be surprised. But they've got a Siri voice bundle for music. Why wouldn't they have a classical one if you just want the classical app, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. So, interesting times, I think. Yeah, definitely. I, like I say, on the app, even though we've had relatively quiet quarters, if you think we haven't had anything major since October that Apple have done, but yeah, the numbers just keep, just keep on going they do okay anything else in apple's results no i don't think so i think it's in line with well i think it's in line with what you would have thought if there hadn't been a bunch of sandbagging saying it's going to be awful and a big big write-off but actually what they've announced is i think what most people would have expected yeah 
So weathering the storm, weathering the economic storm. And, and they didn't really give away any interesting tidbits because sometimes you get a question asked and you get an, an answer. Sometimes you get something interesting. But I don't think we've had anything like that reported. And it's, it's, I don't know. Apple seems suspiciously quiet this year. So either they've got some really good stuff coming or they're quiet because they've got nothing good coming. It's going to be interesting to see how it goes. Or they're frantically trying to sort out before the EU and various American law- lawmakers sue them into the ground unless they change things. So maybe there's a lot of that going on. Yeah, it could be. Maybe nothing exciting's coming, but they're doing everything they've got to do to hit all the legislation changes that are being imposed upon them. Yeah, it could be. Good. Okay, moving on. I've got an app of the week. My app of the week this week is called Notion. It's a note-taking service, effectively, is what it is. Similar to in a, in a similar vein to Obsidian that I've talked about before that has become one of my favourite apps, but I thought I'd actually give Notion a proper go. So at its heart, Notion lets you create new notes. You can create them in Markdown, which is my writing preference of choice, frankly. So you can create a note in that. You can put Markdown syntax in it. So you can put a hashtag for a title, double hashtag for H2, H3, H4. You can actually inline maths and equations. So if you know LaTeX, can actually inline quite complicated equations into it as well all as a collaborative note-taking environment so that works quite well not quite as well as i gotta say for a live view like we do in our show notes here using Sonoma drive which is a very sort of google drive like implementation but for two people collaboratively working on a document that's actually stored to a space that's mine i gotta say notion quite, works quite well it also has really good functionality built into it for ios so the show notes, sorry, the links for the show. As the week goes by, I see stories that are interesting and I'll put them into my Obsidian thing. If I put them into my links in Notion, it actually formats them, pulls all the text down as well. It does a really nice job of, of storing links and things like that. But that's just sort of the tip of the iceberg. You can actually use things like <clears throat> Kanban boards. So you can have swim lanes, if you're familiar with Kanban, which you probably, Chris will be, but listeners may not be. Kanban is a, it's a project management methodology, kind of, where you've got to do in progress and done tasks it could be more complicated than that but that's sort of very high level of it going through so you can actually sort of manage notes or projects uh, various tasks within a project you know as well even for your own links if you pay for it which isn't very expensive i think it was 28 pounds for the year you can have unlimited people sharing it with you as well you can use it for movies and travel and kanban and you know markdown and all these kinds of things it's all exportable you can have it as csvs unlimited collaborators on things I'm really quite impressed with it. I've got to say, I'm using it more and more heavily all the time. So that's my app of the week. It sounds good. I've always liked the idea of Notion, but I just don't like the aesthetic. I can't explain it. I don't like the icon, the N. I don't know why. I just, I installed it once. I didn't like the aesthetic and then I deleted it. I tried it on my iPhone a while ago. But I don't know why, if you know what I mean. And this is a person who uses a lot of Microsoft apps. I just didn't like the aesthetic of it. And it kind of put me off. Fair enough. Not, not, it's not one size fits all, is it? it, it there are competitive products available that do things better. It, might, it may be that you like Apple Notes more or you like other things more, but for me, this is becoming a little sticky for me. And I wrote a couple of abstracts for a conference in it with a collaborator as well. And it worked super well because I really like another thing to thank John Gruber for. I really like writing in Markdown. You, you get what you want to get on the screen 100% of the time. And effectively, it's just a text document underneath it. I don't need a fancy word document. I don't need anything fancy. It just works, and I can do enough formatting on it without it being what you see is all you get, as so many you know word-type word processes are, that it works really well. And that ability to collaborate just in that is worth it for me. Yeah, and I guess a lot of my job, I don't do the collaboration with people. I do a lot on my own. So I don't need that piece of it. But the rest of it, 
looks super interesting to me, but I, like I said, I just didn't, just didn't stick. And that is a problem I have. And we've talked about to do lists and apps. I've just never found something that's really stuck with me. And so I carry on with my notepad. Fair enough. If it works for you, it works for you. But if listeners are interested, it might be worth checking out. There is a free version, which lets you keep, they call them blocks rather than notes, but up to a thousand notes blocks you can, you can use forever and ever. You can share that version with somebody as well. Once you get a thousand, it stops. There's a little bit of upselling to try and get you to pay for a version of it. The corporate versions of it are as expensive as, you, as, as you'd expect. One thing I did skip over when I was talking about it is there are integrations. So I know some of our devs at work actually use the GitHub integration so they can push and pull code into it as well, which is quite clever. It's got integrations with Slack and other things too. So it's really quite a deep app if you start sort of picking away at the surface. But I agree with you. It's not immediately the most attractive to the eye. Yeah, and it's a stupid reason, but I just, yeah, don't don't like the aesthetic. Sorry. Is what it is. is what have it you is. got a thing of the week? I do have a thing of the week. I've gone for something a bit different this week. I bought a lens for my Nikon I was going to say DSLR then, but I've just realised I don't have a DSLR anymore. I've got a mirrorless Nikon Z7, which is a fantastic camera. But for years and years, Canon have done a pancake lens. And a pancake lens is a really thin lens you can put on your camera. It just makes it great if you're travelling, if you're walking around a city. It's not a big bulky camera. And I've wanted Nikon to make one. They finally made one, so I went and bought it. It's a bit of a treat. But I've got a Nikon 26mm pancake lens. So it's a nice small lens. It's very wide to use. You know, so it's not zoomed in or anything. You can't manually zoom. You can manually focus and that. But just fantastic piece of lens. Really nicely made. Super premium product. Fits really well on the camera, but just makes the camera significantly lighter. And that's what I was going for because, as the saying goes, the best camera you've got is the one you've got on you. And whilst my iPhone is good, it is nowhere near as good as my proper camera. And I don't take it with me enough because it's a bit bulky. And I was thinking, right, how can I lighten the load? And I was looking at buying a different camera, a different body. And I thought, no, I love my Nikon. Why don't I just get a smaller lens for it? And it's 46 megapixels or something. So I can always crop down if I need to, if I, you know, if the picture's too wide. And so that's my thing of the week. And I'm super chuffed with it. Dare I ask how much this lens would be? It's about 500 pounds. So whilst a reasonable amount of money in lens world is a drop in the ocean because you can get lenses that cost a thousand, two thousand, seven thousand, you know, insert number here. So a lot of money to me, but actually in the scheme of things, not too bad. And I've got a frame camera. So what that means is it takes a lot more megapixels, full sized in essence. And so I wanted a full size lens to go with it. And it's just really nice. And I haven't bought lens for a long time. I don't have many lenses. I have a couple of prime lenses, which are ones that don't zoom basically. So I've got a 50 mil one and this is a 26 mil one. And so I only buy lenses every now and again. And I saw this and it was, I was toying with it. And I yeah, Insta purchased it, early birthday present for myself. Yay me. Very nice too. I, I, you were either a Nikon person or a, a Canon person generally when it came to these kinds of cameras. And I was a Nikon person. I've never seen this camera before. It looks very classic Nikon with the sort of red highlighting and everything around it. Yeah, Nikon's got a look. And even when they've gone from DSLRs, show the big chunky cameras to the much smaller mirrorless ones, they've kept the aesthetic that they've had I think and you're right historically people with a Nikon or Cam- Canon I was Nikon I don't know why been Nikon for a long time now though obviously Sony is is massively in this game as well and, and all good brands I think and everybody's got their personal preference yeah fair enough I think I went Nikon because at the time I'm trying to get this right 
the motors for the lenses was in the camera and not in the body of the lens, the or or something. There was something differentiating between the lens and the camera, like the vibration reduction, maybe. Yeah, something like that, and it seemed superior at that point. And I think they very quickly became much for muchness. And then it's literally about what lenses you've got for what body is what sort of drives your camera from that point on. Yeah, and I've never bought lots of lenses, but this I like because so I go to London a lot, and I'd like to take my big camera with me because I love walking around London taking some photos. So that's my that's my plan anyway. Fair enough. Good thing of the week. Anything else? No, that is it. So end of the show, I think. And let if anybody wants to get in contact, Rod is on Mastodon at. And he's at g5maniac at mastodon.scott. And I am at underscore cjp at mastodon.social. Or you can email us at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. And I fear I've said the word at too many times in that last paragraph. That's a lot of ats. I'm sure the listeners can work it out. I'll talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rob. Bye.